0: Hello, my name is Taylor Clement. I'm head of school at Kirk Day School.
1: And I'm Maria Massey, the assistant head of school at Kirk Day School.
0: Today we are talking about our favorite subject of 2020, and that is COVID. And what we are doing at Kirk Day School to mitigate transmission, but also what we're doing as we see cases in our community rise. So more than anything, consider this an update of where we are. But what we're seeing in the St. Louis area specifically is an explosion of cases. We're beginning to see them creep into the school more and more. It's kind of been this ominous wave that's coming. And while I'm not a Star Wars fan, it reminds me of the scene where Han Solo's getting in the trash compactor. Those walls just (laughs) keep closing in. They
1: do, they keep getting a little closer. That's
0: right. So, uh, So Maria, let's start because you and I are, first of all, kind of the ones that are doing all this COVID mitigation. We're the ones that have kind of um, done everything. You specifically have taken the course at Johns Hopkins, um, and we've seen a lot of things go from theory to practicality of how they're being implemented. So we made it 13 weeks without a case, Mm -hmm. which is incredible, Mm -hmm. but why do you think we made it so far without a case?
1: Well, I think mainly two reasons, following protocols here at school, but even more than that, parents following protocols, that when their kids don't feel well, or when someone even in their family doesn't feel well, uh, they keep the kids home. And that's what has prevented any other kind of close calls that we've had prior to this, is that people have kept their kids home if they're feeling bad, or if someone else in their family's feeling bad, which I think really has proven to be the best way to stop even cases from coming into our school. Which, you know, we always say cases are inevitable, but transmission is preventable. And that's what we've seen. That I mean, honestly, like, uh, being able to say that we've had zero cases on campus for as many weeks as we did was mostly because our parents are doing an excellent job of keeping kids home when they think that they're sick or when the child is sick themselves.
0: Well, and I want to I want to talk about that, too. Number one, I want to absolutely um, just admonish our faculty for this. Yes. Um, they have just done such an incredible job of obeying what we ask them to mm-hmm. do, not just what the county and, and, and the city yeah. does. But um, this has been one of those things that is tough because there are politics involved. Mm-hmm. I'll be the first to tell you there are politics involved in COVID. I don't mind saying that. What politics? I'll leave that to somebody else. But... It's tough to know where to stand mm-hmm. and make a stand on, on this issue. And if there's one thing I've learned about even leading through COVID, is that you do your best to strip away the gray matter, mm-hmm. the matter that, that's gonna be confusing and get it to as binary as possible, as black and white as possible. And so I'm gonna throw, throw a few things out and let's, let's start by unpacking this. If someone gets symptoms, mm-hmm. they should wait two days to see if the symptoms are either a typical seasonal allergies or b maybe just a common cold not covid so they wait two days if you were exposed to someone and you're positive of that exposure you want to wait five to seven days before you get tested if you go and have symptoms and you get tested you now need to quarantine for 10 days if you're a family member you now need to quarantine for 24 days, the 10 that your family member is sick, and then an additional 14. So I just threw out...
1: Lots a, of numbers.
0: A, Math a, a thesis of numerology, yes. right? Now now I'm, I'm, I'm saying that because... And, and offering that in an audible format because that's confusing mm-hmm. and that's very overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think parents, as you're listening to this, the one thing I would start with is two days. Yes. You need, you need two days to see... Is this normal symptoms or is this something much greater? And I'll use myself as as an example. I did the first round of leaves a few weeks ago and I noticed I had some sinus drainage after. Now in October, I always have sinuses flare up. My first year at Kirk Day School, I remember taking off three days for a sinus infection. This is something that I go through every year. So what I did is I hit my medication really hard. I monitor my symptoms over Sunday. I really felt confident they were allergies. And as I took allergy medication, my symptoms were, were, you know, waning. And so I came to school on Monday. By Tuesday, I felt totally
1: fine. Yeah, the improvement of symptoms is, is um, key because with COVID, symptoms don't improve, right? They get worse <laughs> um, or stay the same. And so if you're seeing symptoms improve, probably not COVID. Based on what we know so far, sitting here on November 16th from what we understand if symptoms are improving it's not COVID that's right and I know it's confusing especially with flu season coming up that type of thing I will say almost everybody that I have talked to and even what the doctors would say as far as kind of those three really important symptoms uh, would be the loss of taste or smell Almost everybody I've talked to that has it, they're like, that was my first indication. So loss of taste or smell, um, fever and cough, sore throat, that type of thing. Uh, Those are kind of the main things that we see when, you know, it's a positive COVID case. So I think, and part of my thing as I've managed this and, you know, my kids had a cold within the first couple weeks of coming back to school was asking, okay, is that sore throat? like did that start before my runny nose or did the runny nose cause the sore throat and most people again know, um, know the difference because we're adults and we can say that kids may not always know the difference right. but I know that when I get congestion it goes straight to my throat and I'm going to have a sore throat so um, that's why we ask you guys to monitor your symptoms ask those questions all that type of stuff that's why we have the health screener if for nothing else than it for us for it to be a self check right. on our kids and us So, yeah.
0: So a few things that that we're doing at school to, to mitigate the transmission, because we have now had cases on campus. We're aware that we've had cases on campus. We try to communicate that as clearly as possible. What we struggle with, though, is understanding where that transmission takes place. Our goal as school administrators is to make sure that that transmission does not take place within our building.
1: And so far, again, sitting here Monday, November 16th, any of the positive COVID cases that we have had, they have not been transmitted to our knowledge at this point to anyone on campus.
0: That is correct.
1: Which is so key and is the reason that we're still here. Amen to that. Yeah. So that's, and that's because of our protocols, that's because of what parents are doing, the whole thing.
0: So let's revisit what we're doing to actively mitigate COVID-19 transmission within Kirk Day School. So if I'm a brand new parent and I'm saying, hey, I want to know, or I haven't haven't been told, or I need a refresher, Maria, walk me through what our teachers are doing on a regular basis.
1: So I'll kind of start from beginning of the day through the end. So first of all, all of our classrooms are uh, sanitized at the end of each day. So the teachers go around with a food safe spray. They spray all of the desks. So that's the first thing that happens so that when those students walk in in the morning, their desks are clean. In addition, the high touch points are cleaned and sanitized uh, with, uh, with another cleaner.
0: Now, let me pause, and I know the answer to this, but for our parents, the two questions that immediately come up are, number one, where can I buy this spray?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And number two, are they wiping the desk down? Or are they letting their to just sit the, the spray and the mist to sit on the desk for dwell time.
1: So they're allowing the, the spray to sit. Now obviously we're you know most teachers are probably using something similar to a Clorox wipe. We had a family generously donate a bunch of cleaning supplies and those are being the things that are being used to wipe down the high touch point surfaces and the things that aren't gonna touch food or or touch hands that touch food. Um, so there is a distinction there between those two cleaners that the one that gets the spray on the desk and sits is food safe so that's not being wiped Um, but the you know the things the high touch points doorknobs that type of things are being wiped down with a wipe gotcha that makes sense and
0: just to be clear the spray that we use is an industrial spray Mm -hmm. for organizations like this but to reiterate your point it is food safe Mm -hmm. we're not worried about that especially because our students eat at their desk we want to make sure that that is a very safe chemical so that that's the first thing yeah so
1: that's the first thing so they're walking in to a clean classroom now what happens before all the parents leave the house is they go through that health screener that gets checked by us at the front uh, before they are allowed in Um, so that's an extra precaution check fever check those symptoms just so you can be confident that you're sending your student to school kind of symptom free uh, so that's that's the next thing. Then, obviously, when we look at those, what the ultimate way to help stop the spread of COVID from what we know right now is distance uh, and less time together. So kids are going to their classrooms instead of to the gym. That one, prevents large groups of people from gathering. Two, it also prevents the mixing of grade grade levels. So that if we would have a positive case in a class we wouldn't have to shut down two or three grade levels we could minimize that at this point even to one class which is what we've seen so those kind of areas uh, of big congregation are, are not there morning afternoon carpool huge thing um, in their classroom they're all behind desk shields in addition um, kindergarten and up is masked and do so pretty much at all times except when they're eating drinking um, or maybe a mask break here and there. We're encouraging our teachers to be outside as much as possible. This continued to get harder as the weather has changed. But, man, the Lord has blessed us with a pretty nice fall, uh, which we're really thankful for. So being outside as much as possible because outside is a totally different story. Um, you know, you don't have that same kind of air. Um, now, with the air uh we do we have installed um an air filtration system within each classroom. There are little kind of pods that that help clean and filter that air in addition, the church has installed um some some additional ways to to kind of help with that, which you know more about
0: yeah and that's actually a cold plasma generator, and what that does is takes that recycled air and and repurifies it. Mm-hmm. Um, We actually, news to you, as I talk about this on our podcast, we actually just ordered another one today to to get another HVAC unit um, hitting with that. So some of the air has already been very clean. Uh, Our hope is to get that even cleaner. Now, let me stop for just a second. What about PE? What are we doing in PE in regards to masking? Because that's some vigorous activity. Some of our kids come in very sweaty, very Mm -hmm. smelly, Mm -hmm. uh, and then... Others, though, P.E. is not necessarily where they're going to find their most thrilling place. Uh, So what are we doing with P.E. and masking?
1: Sure. So obviously, you know, we're doing as much P.E. outside as possible. Uh, When they're engaged in vigorous activity, they do not have to be masked. And that matches with county guidelines as well as CDC guidelines. Um, If they're congregating, we ask that they mask up. We are also trying to avoid kind of high contact sports and do kind of more of that mid to low range activity uh, so that they're not on top of each other in the same way that, that they may have been at this point. Uh, we're continuing to look into that as the winter months draw near knowing that winter really takes hold in January, February. Um, you know, we're trying to figure out some, some best practices to use once we, we really can't go inside. Now that being said, negative uh, 10 below the wind chill has to be negative 10 for us not to go outside. Um, so that's, that's pretty chilly. There's only been a couple times here since I've been here that that's happened. So even on those really cold days, we will get kids outside. Um, and I know that might be miserable for some, but good to get them out and get in that sunshine. So dress warmly.
0: Well, and if we go to indoor PE, um, if and when, because we do know that that will happen, we give our kids mask breaks. We ask them to keep their mask on right now. And uh, if if parents need, for different reasons, we understand kids have asthma. We understand kids have different sensory needs as well. um, And we can accommodate that. But uh, for some, the mask wearing is not as big of a deal Mm -hmm. as it is for others. And that's just a unique way that God has created us. And for those, we say, hey, just take as many mass breaks as you need and want, and we allow them to self-regulate with that, mm-hmm. even at the youngest ages, because we want to make sure that, number one, they can self-advocate. Number two, yeah, I mean, kids need mass breaks. Yeah, no, no question. For sure.
1: And I would just say, too, you know, something to, to think about in general. The difference in this environment, as opposed to some others, is it's very controlled. I mean, those kids are are supervised and are encouraged, hey, mask up, at almost at all times throughout the day.
0: Okay, well, let me pause you there because this is something that I I would agree with you on that, but we need to at least think through the other side. Typically, if you were to say, I'm going to a restaurant in the winter, that's not where you're gonna pick up flu, maybe some food poisoning in a (laughs) bad day, but you're not gonna pick up flu there. You might not pick up flu necessarily other places. You would pick up flu at church and definitely the cesspool that is in elementary school. Yeah, right? for sure. However, in the 2020 world that we live in, it's like the upside down because schools are now the safest place mm-hmm. for kids mm-hmm. because of this controlled or structured environment. Talk a little bit about that because this is something that I, I feel like is is really interesting and a little bit bucks the trend that we're used to this time of year because... Schools have to sometimes even shut down because of sickness.
1: Oh yeah, when this first came out, I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is going to be miserable, right? It's going to affect kids. It's going to..." and and for whatever reason, the doctors that we continue to talk to, um, you know, on our we have a call every Thursday um, with the doctors, pediatric infectious disease doctors at WashU, and they keep us up to date on what they're seeing in the hospitals, the trends that they're seeing, and they have continued to say school is the safest place I think that's one because of the major controlled environment that we have Uh, you know because we're not congregating in large groups and we're really able to protect them from all of this exposure um, to this airborne illness that that we have going on Um, in addition right now we have seen that it, it the symptoms that most kids have are pretty mild not that it's not everybody, but that has been the consistent thing is that they are in the lowest risk age category mm. um, for this virus, which I think has helped too. But our controlled environment of you know not mingling with multiple kids, I think that's probably been one of the ways that we've stopped the spread the most is by keeping one first grade class with one first grade class and not exposing them to mm-hmm. a sixth grade class here and a fifth grade class there. I think that's probably been one of the things that help has helped the most. And I mean, when we've had to do contact tracing, I think that's helped so much. It's helped right. make our job a lot easier, and it's helped us give with fair degree of certainty this person was not exposed.
0: Okay. Well, let me let's let's pause there for a second because I want to talk about that. Uh, just to let parents know, the two doctors that typically advise us are Dr. Jason Newland and Dr. Rachel Orschlin. So Rachel Orschelin is the same doctor that was in the Mike Parsons press conference that we saw last week where they came out with a new model for the Missouri public schools. She is a chief advisor to both Sam Page, Mike Parsons, and the CDC, as well as Jason Newland. Jason Newland's a little bit more under the radar, but he's the one that's really sports specialty, his, his job has been to monitor this thing through sports. So we are getting not just the best advice in St. Louis, mm-hmm. but the best advice in Missouri and the nation right now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And I think that's in part why we've seen such a success rate with schools in St. Louis mm-hmm. in comparison to other places that may maybe not have had that success. But you mentioned the cohort, and initially we started out with saying a cohort's gonna be two grade levels because this is our recess mm-hmm. and lunch mm-hmm. groups but we've seen this adjust and now we've sent some grade levels home to do some contact tracing but we've not sent the whole cohort home as we initially thought so talk a little bit about why we are just sending a grade level home and even in some cases bringing most of the grade back at this point so just kind of talk through that because it doesn't really align with what we said initially sure. and I'm, I know what I'm doing parents on this one because I'm basically saying yeah we're not holding true to our work we actually are but it can be confusing and it's tough to communicate this to an entire school community without involving a little bit of panic so totally. talk totally.
1: through this yeah. process so when we look at okay we have a positive case how do we know who needs to be quarantined so we look at first we ask the question who are they in close contact with Right now, the CDC says close contact is anybody who was within six feet for 15 minutes or more. That is considered a close contact. there's the people that need to be quarantined. So when we look at a cohort, first of all, a fifth grader coming into contact with a sixth grader for more than 15 minutes, unmasked, all that stuff, not, doesn't happen. And if it does, it may happen outside on the playground, but recess itself is only 20 minutes. So there there is almost no likelihood that they would have an interaction that would warrant close contact.
0: Well, and being one of the people that watched
1: yes, security footage and, yes.
0: and actually contact trace, we sent a teacher home because they had a prolonged discussion with a student and I went back to watch that video and the most that teacher could have been around that student was eight minutes. Yeah. Another student was around uh, a student who tested positive and mm-hmm. was like, oh man, I, we're really worried about that and it ended up being five minutes. And of course, you know, our, our judgment of time versus time yeah. accuracy exactly. is always off. Exactly. But in this case, it's really interesting yeah. to be within that six feet. It's actually a lot harder in, in our current scenario. Now that's mm-hmm. for Kirk Day School. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that can't happen in other places, mm-hmm we're talking outdoor recess right now and what we hope to continue throughout the winter. And we've even had our kids out there and play one day. I saw my son came in and he was soaked, uh, happy, but he was soaked and they, we're trying to keep them outside so i think that's a good point to yeah. make yeah
1: yeah so when we started kind of recognizing once we got the kids in the building and seeing okay where are they overlapping you know we we had set those rules those kind of expectations in place even when we were still thinking about doing lunch in the in the fellowship hall and we decided not to do that partly so that we wouldn't have to send an entire cohort home right for you know, one kid that tests positive, um, because anybody that's around somebody that tests positive, they have to go into quarantine. Um, and so then you know when we when we started looking at those those cases that we've had, and we could go back and contact trace because again we know so clearly the places where kids are having contact with each other. It's very clear now because of the schedule that we keep and the protocols that we have in place we're very easy easily able to say uh you know this person did not have contact with this person Um, in addition to that we also you know all of our desks are about six feet apart and when when they're not we measure um to make sure you know to assure us We know we're not within that limit, um, but also take that extra precaution of, okay, the people in that desk radius, those are the ones that could potentially be at home um, or could have potentially be exposed and need to be at home. So we have definitely fallen on the cautious side of that. Um, Now that being said, I will say, you know, in addition to, so when we look at close contact, right, it's 15 minutes or more, six feet or less apart with a confirmed positive case. So therefore, let's say I'm a confirmed positive case, you have contact with me, that would be constituted as close contact. No one in your family has to quarantine right. because they have not had contact with me. It would just be you. And so that's why we're also able um, to bring classes back and we're able to let siblings come because those siblings have n- have not had close contact with a confirmed positive case.
0: Now let me throw a wrench into this. Teachers, yeah. what about teachers? Because teachers are with those children for longer than 15 minutes. But for us, the question that we've had to ask is, what about that six foot rule? And this is really interesting. When you think about the way our teachers teach, we're not really seeing them be within six feet for Mm -hmm. longer than 15 minutes. And that, I I just wanna say that's the caveat. So for instance, if we have music class, which they're not singing in music class, If Mrs. Smith goes in to a classroom and that class ends up going home, we're not worried about Mrs. Smith because she hasn't been within six feet for longer than 15 minutes with that particular student. Yeah. The other thing that you have are seating charts. Tell me Mm -hmm. about that.
1: Yeah, so at the beginning of the year, uh, we decided to ask all of the teachers to supply us with seating charts so that if if we had a case we could say okay this person sat next to this person so they definitely need to go home but and this is more concerning for our upper grades too because they switch classes but hey this person they're on the opposite side of the room and they don't need to be quarantined so it's been again really helpful in contact tracing to be able to identify who those close contacts were
0: and I would say long term our goal is going to be once we see a student who has a case in the building which we are expecting and we have been planning on that once we have that student in the building our goal would be to contact trace Mm -hmm. the grade Mm -hmm. bring as many students back as possible including students within the classroom now to date we're not doing that because we're seeing such a high Mm -hmm. rise in cases we want Mm -hmm. to just be extra extra cautious because uh, you know you don't want to bring some kids back and then find out that they've been uh, they've been exposed but long-term, this is going to be our plan. Yeah. So let's talk about a couple more things and then we're going to wrap up. Um, two more real things that I think are on on the presence of mind. One, maybe not as much as the other, but is visitors within the building. We've had some visitors mm-hmm. in the building. We've mm-hmm. had parent-teacher conferences. Mm-hmm. We've had a few guest speakers, not many, but tell me about visitors in the building. If my child comes home and says, I saw... Mrs. Rush talking to some people today, and they came in our classroom or something like that. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that process yeah. from your perspective, and then I'll be um, adding a few yeah. things. But go ahead.
1: So I would say, first of all, again, we look at that controlled versus uncontrolled environment. Um, this is, they're coming into a very controlled environment. We still enact the same safety protocols, whether it be with someone coming in for a tour, we take their temperatures, we have them do a health screening before they walk in the building. All of you that came to parent-teacher conferences know that. Um, and that allows us to have that extra step of, of security. Um, and you know, simple kind of protocols like that have allowed us to have some visitors. Um, that six foot rule is really what's helpful. And we make sure that we maintain that at all times as much as possible, because that's really where where we see a lot of help in mitigating that risk. Uh, So that's what the volunteer, or anybody that has come in the building, what that has looked like. In addition, there's always been a very important purpose for them being in here. uh, And we take that into consideration, anybody that's coming um, into this building, we make sure that it is necessary uh, for, for them to be in.
0: Right. And I will say, admission season is an mm-hmm. October-November type of thing, typically in St. Louis. Jennifer meets with them prior. We do plenty to mitigate the amount of time that they're on campus, uh, including any follow-ups. So we're, we're doing our best with that yeah. as well. We do consider them essential visitors, though, because that's the livelihood of our school yes. and the future of our school. Yes. All right. Last thing before we get to, to maybe one announcement, and that is this. Parsons versus Page. There are kind of two schools of thoughts. Mm -hmm. One came out last week with Mike Parsons. Sam Page said no for St. Louis County. Really the health department did, but under his leadership. So Mike Parsons has said this, if a student tests positive within a class, no one has to go home if everyone was wearing personal protective equipment. So that means a mask, there were dividers involved, things like that. Proper procedures were being followed. Don't send everyone home just send that one student home the page model though would say no you need a contact trace and based on what we've understood from the health department send the students who were were within six feet for 15 minutes or more home Mm -hmm. now there's two reasons that we do this number one i would say the parsons model saves a ton of time and it allows people to to stay in school especially kids who might be more at risk um, within the city and the public sector the page model on the other hand though i would say definitely leans more on the safety side because there have been protocols that are followed but we can't always hit that so we're looking at this mm-hmm. and we're kind of we're kind of questioning where to go next but any any thoughts as we kind of begin to navigate the parson's and page models especially as we see cases on the rise mm-hmm and, and looking, looking toward the future. What, what are kind of the benefits of both and, and why do you think we'd lean one way or the other, just in a personal opinion, mm-hmm. not necessarily as a school right now?
1: I think, I think first of all, just to name that, it's really confusing to have two leaders have, say two different things. That's really confusing. Yeah. And from someone who's in it every day, it's really frustrating. And exhausting, uh, because we're looking to people who, you know, I am not. I have my master's in counseling. Like I am nowhere near a health professional.
0: You have an honorary uh, degree you know. in covidology. All right.
1: But um, you know, then it, it puts it puts some pressure on us to make a decision. For a lot of people, they have a lot of different opinions, and so I think that's what's confusing to us is we're looking to someone who knows more about this. to to help guide and direct us and when we get two different messages that makes our our life and our decisions harder um because of those two two different different opinions uh that being said i think we're trying to navigate these waters because the county health department has come out and said we're not following parsons model you've got to follow ours you've it doesn't matter if they're, if they're masked or unmasked, if they've had exposure and meet that close contact, they have to go home and quarantine for 14 days. Uh, now, I realize that Governor Parsons is speaking to a much larger audience right. than just St. Louis. And that's, I think, some of why you see that discrepancy um, is because we live in a city, and though our city is not New York City, for Missouri, it, it kind of is. You know, we're the right. biggest city um, have the most people, so we're going to deal with this more. We're going to have more cases just simply because of our of our population. So uh, we're we're weighing that. We're trying to find out, find that happy medium. I would say at this point we have to, you know, do what the county health department is saying, um, knowing that we're trying to do our best to recognize that. I mean, we have spent time and money and effort to protect our, our, our staff and our faculty and our students. And we want that to count for something. Because at times, right. that's my frustration is, well, then why are we doing all of these things if we're still going to have to be sent home right. for exposure? That's one of my frustrations. And I know that we're catching up this virus, you know, we're, we're months and months behind this virus as far as research and understanding it goes. Um, and I don't know if we'll see that change. You know, come <clears throat> three or four months from now. You know, think about what we knew about this virus three or four months ago. We now know how this right. virus is spread, um, which we didn't know in March. So I'm hopeful that we will see some leniency on on that kind of uh, exposure and need to quarantine, because that's really the biggest challenge for us. Right. Um, that's the longest time period that somebody has to be out. Uh, you would almost, for time's sake, rather have the virus than not because at that point you can come back about four to five days Someone that A's had Center.
0: corona actually or COVID actually said that exact word to me. It yes. was easier on me to have the virus time-wise than it was on my yes. family because of this. Because, and yeah. I, and I, I would agree with that. Um, so let me, let me say this. One of the things families that we are working on are really figuring out what our next steps are between this November-December t- window because we know the days are getting shorter, the days are getting colder, which means that sickness is on the rise. So what we're looking at are different ways to mitigate the virus, and one of the best ways to do that, frankly, is to stay home.
1: It's And time. We we need time. Right. You know, that's the the thing that we're always running up against that we've seen in the cases that we've had. We need to buy ourselves some time.
0: Right. So be able to buy ourselves some time one of the things that we want to do is call school Monday November 30th and Tuesday December 1st which is the Monday and Tuesday after Thanksgiving we want those days off and we ask that you stay home that gives us two days now let's go back to the beginning of the podcast and what we talked about two days so we want you to take those two days and monitor symptoms because if you travel for Thanksgiving you're around family even if it's a gathering of less than ten great but if somebody has the virus and you depart on saturday or sunday which is a little bit more typical than just a local thursday gathering if you travel and you have that that gives you two days to monitor symptoms to see if anything rises or if someone that you were around within those two days has covid and now you have an exposure that way those two days gives us enough time to say hey i'm not coming to school or i'm coming to school because I feel confident in my ability to do that. So it's two days worth of judging. So we're announcing that on this podcast, there'll be more information about that, but that's also the rationale. It's a little easier to do that over, over um, an audio recording than it is just to type that in an email. Mm-hmm. But Monday, November 30th and Tuesday, December 1st, we will take off to have extra time just to quarantine in a post Thanksgiving
1: realm. Yeah, because like we've said, the quarantining is what is the biggest challenge that we face. Absolutely. That's, I mean, obviously, we don't want anybody to get sick and deal with symptoms, of course. That, but given our population, given what our population is up against, the quarantining is what causes the 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 main issues aside from the illness side. But yeah, so I I I want us to be able to celebrate Thanksgiving to have time with our family. Um, and not have to come back to school anxious, worried, you know, what do we have? Do we have anything? So hopefully this will give us a little bit more time to do that. Absolutely.
0: Well, we hope that this podcast has been beneficial to you and just being able to explain some of the COVID theses that are Mm -hmm. out there because there's so much, it's so confusing, and it's a moving target, and we do our best to hit that target. Um, Remember that we might be hitting the target, but maybe not the bullseye as it moves, Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. and I know the expectation often is to hit that bullseye. We're doing our best with it but there are many many things and differing opinions out there and we're doing our best to to just let you know and be transparent about this we're not trying to hide anything Mm -hmm. we're not trying to do anything uh disingenuous because we realize that we are partnering with you as parents we're partnering with you as co-laborers of this virus and we want to do that well so parents if you have any questions feel free to reach out to to either myself or miss massey We'd love to talk more about this with you, Um, we're happy to answer questions, and just know that we're going to do our best to stay open, to protect you, to protect your children, to protect our faculty and staff. But in the meantime, we wish you a happy holidays for the first time uh, this year, and we hope to see you soon.